Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into January's Scavenger Hunt review uh, in today's review episode. General episode. Nah, who cares? I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. I just finished watching all the movies for January, all 31 of them. Uh, it was a little slower than some months, but uh, we got it done. And it's behind me. I think I recall saying in the preview episode for this month that I expected this to be a pretty good month, a rebound after uh, what I considered a pretty disappointing December. And I was wrong. (laughs) I was incredibly wrong. And I think that January might be the worst month for my scavenger hunt viewings uh, to date, really. It was just terrible overall, you know, like, you know, I didn't have a single film that I watched that eclipsed uh, a rating of 90, um, and it looked like for a while there was going to be films in my top 10 that were below 50, so it was just, it was not good, it was not good, but it's done, it's in the past, and uh, let's get into the top 10. Starting with number 10, we have Superman Unbound. This is the 17th film in the DC animated universe, and uh, it's kind of a mess at times, to be fair. It definitely uh, struggles with a lot of just kind of generic plot elements, um, which is kind of typical of these DC Animated Universe films. They aren't exactly known for their tight writing. Um, It's more of they're more character based in my in my opinion in my experience. Uh, I gave Superman Unbound a 59, uh, the only film on the top 10 this this month that doesn't break 60, so that isn't a, quote, good film, in my opinion. Uh, but the, you know, this, this, is, this is a Superman film. It includes Supergirl uh, in it, which I liked. I'm happy to see her in this movie. But... <clears throat> I don't think that the villain of the movie, Brainiac, is really all that impressive. And, you know, it's just a lot of the things that happened in the movie just felt sort of like cop-outs. You know, lowering, it seemed like they just kept lowering and lowering the stakes as the movie went on. Um, but, you know, it's it's a... A film that's part of a huge franchise, and it's tough to have incredibly high stakes in a film like that. You know, the MCU films have are dealing with the the same issue. 
and it would be nice to see some stakes, you know, especially considering the fact that, um, you know, you're, you're in your an, in an animated universe, it's a lot easier to reconcile bringing people back to life or uh, rebooting the the universe, as it were, and so it's a, it's a little unfortunate that the DC animated universe won't really put anything on the line. Um, as far as where Superman Unbound ranks in the DC animated universe, um, it <clears throat> excuse me, it slots in at number ten. So it's it's tenth in the DC animated universe as well. Uh, just behind Green Lantern, Emerald Knights, and just ahead of Superman, Doomsday. And that is number 10, Superman Unbound. Number 9 is a documentary, um, which satisfied the category a Zoe Deschanel film. She voices, uh, or she reads rather, one of the many letters uh, that were written to Jackie Kennedy, uh, shortly after John Kennedy's assassination. Uh, she, along with a whole host of other uh, famous celebrity actors. And this was, you know, I gave it a 60. It's not <clears throat> anything stellar or particularly incredible, but it does provide a very interesting window into um, sort of the public... Uh, thought process after what happened happened and couple you know after having seen uh, Natalie Portman's Jackie not too long ago and getting a very intimate look at uh, Jackie Kennedy's response to what had happened it's nice to kind of have a little bit more perspective uh, on the entire situation you know because I, I wasn't alive for it and for me, it wasn't something that's incredibly impactful to me, but to, to see just how important and, and relevant that this act was to the people who were alive at that time uh, is, is very moving. And I, I don't think that the format was entirely uh, perfect. There's definitely, you know, like mm, the letters are kind of intercut with uh, speeches from Kennedy himself, or Martin Luther King, or you know, scenes with scenes from uh, Jackie's life, and it, it's not really well put together, but it is, uh, it is interesting. It is compelling in a way. Uh, so that's letters to Jackie, which I gave a sixty. Uh, moving up to this month's only tie in our top ten. Uh, and and the film that lost the tiebreaker is uh, Blow Up with a 67. Uh, this film is, uh, I believe it satisfied the category of um, a film about fashion where, uh, what's his name? David Hemmings, I want to say. Uh, yes. David Hemmings plays a photographer. He photographs women. Uh, in very models in various states of undress, essentially, 
and uh, also stars Vanessa Redgrave. And it's it's good. It, it's an com- interesting mystery drama. Uh, David Hemming's character photographs Vanessa Redgrave in the park, having an, what we're led to believe is an affair. Uh, but then as the film unfolds, we discover that there's a whole lot more going on than just a perceived affair in this picture. And you know, David Hemmings gives a great performance uh, in the lead role. And Vanessa Redgrave is intoxicating. Um, you know, it's 1966. It's, you know, both of them are very, very young. But it, it definitely, it, it has a lot of uh, sort of subtle charm to it. You know, it's it languishes a lot on its moments and scenes, uh, which I wasn't always on board with. And then particularly the finale, the ending sequence, I thought seemed very out of place. And I think that the film is a little too artistic for its own good, a little too indie. It doesn't exactly... Um, it doesn't exactly come together for me. And, you know, it's got a pretty high rating on Letterboxd. It's got a 3.9. So I'm definitely lower than a lot of people on it. But uh, it just, it did not uh, move me in in the same way. Um, that's, that's, all I, that's all I can say, really. So blow up number eight, 67. Also with a 67, but winning the tiebreaker is Il Postino, or The Postman. This is not your Kevin Costner postman by any stretch. This is the good one. Um, it, uh, it, it stars Felipe... Ooh, I'm trying to pronounce this right. Felipe Noiret. Uh, it's probably not correct. Uh, from 1994, uh, which is... And Felipe was, I believe, nominated. I don't remember whether or not. I don't think he won uh, for for Best Actor. Uh, it was nominated for a few different awards at the Oscars that year. And uh, it's just about a postman who's learning to enjoy and embrace poetry in an attempt to woo a local woman. It's very straightforward. There's not much more that goes on. I think it's good. But I, I think it makes great use of its its uh, premise. Uh, Massimo Troisi, who plays the famous poet that the postman is learning poetry from, is is also quite good in the movie. Uh, but it, it's it's other than that, it's very generic sort of rom com y. Uh, a, a very generic rom com y affair. And, you know, to be honest, it's been a while since we've had a very generic rom com movie uh, here in 2017 now. And so this was a little bit of a breath of fresh air for me, as it were. And that's kind of why it ended up a little higher than it might have otherwise been. So that's Il Postino, 67, number 7. <clears throat> Jumping up to number six, we finally have, we break into the 70s, uh, so the rest of these films are quite good, films that I very much liked, 
And number six, we have The Hudsucker Proxy, the Coen Brothers film. This satisfied the category of a film that is part of a director's filmography that features exactly 17 movies. Um, This is one of the last films of the Coen Brothers that I have yet to see. I believe there's still two more on the list. And... uh, Hudsucker Proxy started out so strong for me. I, I really enjoyed it at the beginning. I thought it was incredibly crafty and funny. But then... It kinda tapers off uh, about two-thirds into the movie and I thought the ending was very weak by comparison Uh, and that that kept it from being kind of the upper echelon of Coen Brother films you know it's still kind of in the middle of the pack as it were but you know I, I think Tim Robbins is really funny Tim Robbins is great and or uh and even even more so than Tim Robbins uh, is uh, Paul Newman. Loved Paul Newman in this. Uh, I, it was a really fun character to see uh, outside of. Uh, it does. It's felt very different from a lot of the things that he, a lot of the characters he's been in. It's incredibly quotable, you know, and you know, you know, for kids. <laughs> um, Jennifer Jason Leigh. It's crazy, like, I'm seeing all these movies that she's been in, in the past, and it just blows my mind that she hasn't received as much success as I think she deserves. Like, she is such a good actress, and yet, it felt like before uh, The Hateful Eight, she was, like, not doing anything. And I know that's not true, but it seems like she was so much more prominent in the 90s, and then all of a sudden, she disappeared. And I, that's upsetting. Uh, yeah, so that's the Hudsucker Proxy, 70, number 6 this month. Um, a very good film from the Coen Brothers. Number 5 is the film that satisfied, if I can find it, the last task. Um, yeah, so this was uh, turn to page 17 of a nearby thing you can read. Find the 17th word on the 17th page and watch a film containing that word in the title. Mine was from, and I chose the movie Letter from an Unknown Woman. I gave this a 71. And I think that it's a better movie than it is a movie that I liked. Uh, It's a very interestingly structured film. Uh, you know, it, it, it deals with, um, kind of reimagining the way that events are pre- uh, presented to you. You know, it's, it's, it follows this guy, uh, he's a pianist and he gets a letter from some woman that he doesn't remember or know. And she tells him in this letter that she is in love with him and has been all her life which makes him rethink the past and his interactions with her that he didn't really realize that he had. And it, you know, I was 
times I was bored. Uh, it's kind of a slow-paced movie, despite the fact that it's only 90 minutes long, not even. But when you get to the end, and 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 the when while Louis Jordan, you know, is remembering these these events that have taken place and re appropriating them in his mind, it definitely comes across as as high high quality filmmaking. You know, you can see the concept behind the camera and in front of the camera that uh, Max O'Fools is looking at. And the I think the longer you linger on this movie, the better it becomes. So I would kind of imagine that a rewatch might even bump the score up a little more for me. Um, I don't know if that will ever happen, but I think that it's a distinct possibility, if not a distinct likelihood. But for now, I've got it solidly at a 71, um, which I think is is very good and something that I, I would recommend to, to others, for sure. For sure. Number four. Going up another point to 72, uh, a film that was remade in, I want to say, 1995, or maybe it was 2000. Um, 2002. It was remade in 2002, but it was originally, I believe this is the first version of it to, to hit theaters and uh, the silver screen. In 1960, it is the time machine. H.G. Um, Wells, the time machine, which is a fascinating story. One of my favorite sci-fi stories. And Rod Taylor as the Englishman is amazing. I, I think he's great in the title role. No, in the lead role, sorry. And it definitely has a distinct Planet of the Apes feel to it. Uh, you know, it's a very similar story. Uh, a white man lost out of time uh, finds a completely different society where humans are under control by something else, in this case Morlocks, uh, in Planet of the Apes, by apes, where he befriends a local woman who doesn't truly under doesn't really understand him at all. And then at the end of the movie has a revelation about life and existentialism and his own personality and whatnot. So very similar themes, very similar movies. Uh, I think Planet of the Apes is definitely a better film. Uh, but I, I think that The Time Machine is probably a better story. And this is an adi- is a more than adequate uh, adaptation of that story. I won't really say too much more. There are some elements of it that I thought were a little cheesy, particularly the mannequin and... Uh, I don't know. Like, there's some parts of it that just don't are very silly. Um, the interactions that uh, that Rod Taylor has with uh, Alan Young's character, who plays uh, Philby, the the Philby family, pretty much. I thought that was really silly. I get that they're trying to show the passage of time and the connections between Taylor's character at 
the beginning of the movie and the middle of the movie and the end of the movie, and I, I understand all that. It just it comes off kind of silly because they are in 1960. That's the kind of effects that they had at the time. Um, but very good movie, The Time Machine, 72. Into the top three, we are still deep in the 70s. Um, with a 73 now, uh, number three, The Night They Raided Minsky's. The Night They Raided Minsky's. Wow. This is a film with Norman Wisdom. That is the category it satisfied. This is one of the first films I watched uh, this month. And I really enjoyed it. It's very funny. Uh, Britt Eklund and Norman Wisdom are incredibly great. Uh, Jason Robards does a great job in this as well. And it's kind of a nothing movie, uh, really. And, you know, it doesn't really have too much of a plot. They're very thin uh, threads all over the place. And at times, it's just not about anything. It's very Seinfeldian in that way. But it's also so funny and very much kind of going with the flow and, and, and following the, you know, it, it's, it's like um, a stream of water running down stream, running downhill, but it's following the perfect grooves along the way. And while it doesn't know where it's going, it is taking the best route there. And so I really enjoyed it. I think that the ending scene is a very great, a great scene, one of my favorites from the month. And uh, I don't say that coming from a, as 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 a I don't I don't know how to phrase it, but it's it's not about the how did I how did I phrase it in my review? Let me see. Um, not, it's not, I don't view it as more of a sexual scene insofar as that's what the film is portraying to the viewer. Uh, clearly that is what is happening inside the film itself. But I think that it's a great showcase for, uh, Eklund's character to just kind of open up and embrace who she is, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I really like it. Definitely highly recommend that based on the rest of the films that I saw. Uh, only two better films than this one this month. So, uh, very funny, good comedy, very shocking ending. Not really shocking, but very scandalous ending. That's The Night They Rated Minsky's, number 70, or a rating of 73, number 3. Number 2, in January... With a 74, Lahane, the last film that I watched for this month, Lahane, which translates to The Hate, directed by Matthew Kasovitz, starring Vincent Cassell, Hubert Conde, and Saeed Tagmau, Tagmaui, Tagmaui, I don't know, uh, it's about... These three guys, uh, Vince, Hubert, and Said, who are 
I believe a, yes, respectively a Jew, African, and Arab living in France and dealing with the French authorities and growing violent tensions in the neighborhood. It's, uh, you know, I don't really want to go too deep into it because it's it's very powerful. It's very violently um, compelling. I think Vincent Cassell gives an incredible performance in the movie. And it has an ending that is more shocking and insane than the night they raided Minsky's. So I highly recommend it. And it's it's a good, you know, it's, it's a film where, you know, we've seen a lot of movies, or I've seen a lot of movies where it's troubled youths who are dealing with violent times. And, you know, this one came out 22 years ago now. It's not exactly representative of today, but it is more than... Uh, more than just a little bit relevant to uh, current situations across the world. That's for sure. Particularly when you factor in just how diverse the three characters are. A Jew, African, and an Arab. You know? Three classes of people that still quite haven't gotten to the level of respect and equality that they probably should be at. Or that they definitely should be at, rather. That's Lahane, given a 74, number two overall. Number one, jumping up to an 83, nine points above Lahane, the only film that got above an 80 this month. Uh, That is The Kid with a Bike, directed by the Dardenne brothers. Um... This is also one I watched very early in the month and has stuck with me all throughout. And a big reason for that is Cecile de France, who I think completely uh, owns this movie. Far and away, my f- you know, very enjoyable. One of my favorite performances from the month. Um, from the very first scene, I was attached to her. And I didn't even know she was going to be a main character in the movie. Uh, the little kid is actually quite quite compelling in his own right. And it's just about a bike and a kid who doesn't who feels lost and doesn't really have anyone to turn to. And I quite admire it. I quite love it. It is heads and shoulders my favorite film from the month. And I believe it is going to break a couple of records uh, in the superlative segment that we're about to enter. Um, Because previously, the record number of superlatives won by any film in in my scavenger hunts has been two. And now we will have something that's one more. And part of that is because of my surprisingly high level of affection for this movie, but also due to the incredibly low level of quality in the rest of this month's films. So let's... So that's The Kid with a Bike, 83. Definitely check it out. I thought it was superb. And that's the top 10. I'll run down them again real quick. Uh, Superman Unbound, 
Letters to Jackie, Blow Up, Il Postino, The Postman, The Hudsucker Proxy, Letter from an Unknown Woman, The Time Machine, The Night They Raided Minsky's, La Haine, and The Kid with a Bike. And now let's move into this month's superlatives. First up, biggest surprise, no hemming and hawing, the kid with a bike. Uh, It was not one of the films that I predicted to be uh, at the top of the list at the beginning of the month, and it just completely shocked me and blew me away. I had really no hopes for this movie going in, and from the moment that Cecile de France enters the movie, I was hooked. I was enraptured. I fell in love with this movie. And, uh, you know, maybe in last month with some, you know, heavier hitters in the mix as well, this would have been a little bit, of diff- little bit different. I can definitely uh, see if I can look at the past winners of this category really quickly. Um, yeah, so coming, going up against Wuthering Heights, it probably would have won. Uh, but Planet of the Apes would have been a very, very close race for this category. Um, but I, it might have actually edged it out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, so biggest surprise, the kid with a bike. Biggest disappointment. Uh, previous winners of this this award, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and Contact. Uh, this month, it goes to Lust Caution. Lust Caution is an Ang Lee film that I had pretty high hopes for. Uh, I ended up giving it a 58, I believe. And it's not bad, but I was just disappointed. I I expected a lot more. It narrowly missed the top 10. And I thought it was a slog almost. It's very long. It's cut into two segments. And... I think the acting's good, but it, it, I just found the story to be very unexciting for the most part. And I don't know if that was just uh, the direction or the writing or the performances or what exactly was combining to give me this bland uh, film, in my opinion. But it uh, <clears throat> that's what it was. I didn't particularly enjoy it. Um, <clears throat> worst film <laughs> this one was surprisingly uh, tough to figure, tough to determine and oh ow. it uh, I do believe that it sorry it's it's not the easiest to it's hard to like sort through all this stuff and yeah, I, I have the wrong movie listed. I had Dumb and Dumber 2, but it's not Dumb and Dumber 2. Dumb and Dumber 2 had a 6. Um, let me just really quick. Okay, so it's actually somewhat of a tie between... Try 17, which has a 3, with a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, 
and triple X, State of the Union, which also has a three, but a 16. So it actually goes to try 17. Try 17 is the worst film. I don't know why I put Dumb and Dumber 2 there. Try 17. Uh, yeah, try 17. Uh, while Triple X Day of the Union is equally as bad, uh, they're bad. The two films are very ba are bad for different reasons. Try Seventeen has no imagination. It's not trying to do anything new or interesting. It takes a young boy, teenager, young uh, teenager, and puts him in a situation where he has two women to choose from and makes a movie out of it seen it a hundred times seen it a thousand times it's not interesting it's not compelling i felt like it was just trying to capture the elijah wood craze because of lord of the rings it came out in 2002 at the tail end of that and it's it's just very very unexciting and the performances are not great you've got uh, Mandy Moore and uh, what's her name? Franca Patente. And it's just not a good movie. There's also some like mother drama. No. No thanks. I'm out. I'm out of that. Um, comparing that to The Scarlet Letter from November, Try 17 comes in at a one point lower. And comparing that to December's Term Life, uh, Try 17 comes in two points higher. So, right in the middle. Right in the middle. Funniest film. Uh, this came down to a race between The Night They Raided Minsky's and uh, The Hudsucker Proxy, ultimately. And the deciding factor was the ending really the ending of night they rated minsky's is far funnier and ends on a higher note than hudsucker proxy which is why funniest film this month is the night they rated minsky's it is definitely funnier than last month's film four rooms uh, but i don't it does not quite reach the level of a town called panic from november uh, but the night, they rated, uh, the night they rated minsky's you know there's a lot of just stage performances in this movie uh, Norman Wisdom and Jason Robards are perfect and play off each other so incredibly well. Uh, very, very funny. The most powerful film. Um, similarly to last month, uh, it's kind of tough to pinpoint this one because there aren't a lot of like big dramas in the movie or in the, in the list of movies. And... Lahane nearly snuck in on this category at the end, but I did end up having to give it to the time machine. Um, I think that the implications of time travel and the future of mankind swayed me just enough to tend toward the time machine in the, rather than Lahane. Very, very close. Um, but the time machine, I, I, I think it's more powerful than Amistad. Uh, but definitely not as powerful as Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing is going to be at the top of that list for a while. Um, but The Time Machine, definitely, definitely uh, very impactful film. 
most forgettable film, going to previous no- <laughs> previous films such as Eve's Bayou and Young Blood. This month, it goes to the movie Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, uh, a film title that I thought was incredibly intriguing the first time I heard it, uh, a film that I had heard good things about that I then watched and was very unexcited things to do in Denver. I gave it a 34, so bad movie, and it's all it made all the worse because it has such an interesting title, and I still have trouble remembering that I watched it. So, things to do in Denver when you're dead, most forgettable film. Uh, probably more forgettable than Youngblood, but not as forgettable as Eve's Bayou. Most entertaining film, and this is where we kind of enter the kid with a bike, uh, steam, <laughs> steam train, steamroller, whatever thing. Most entertaining film, kid with a bike, heads above, heads and shoulders above. Um, I just had so much fun with this movie, and the performances, the characters, the interactions, the story. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and would not. Would not have had nearly as good of a month for my scavenger hunt without it. I'm very happy to have seen this movie. Um, it slides, slots in alongside Swiss Army Man. It's not as entertaining as that, though. And Bling, much more entertaining than Bling. Best performance to go alongside Greta Garbo and Ninochka and Daniel Radcliffe and Swiss Army Man is a little bit of a different direction. Uh, this is actually a movie that I gave a negative score to, and that is California, star and the starring role of Brad Pitt. Um, I gave California a 39, uh, so not a good movie, but I think Brad Pitt's performance is pretty great in it. Um, he's dirty, he's grimy, and considering he's like, how many times has he won Sexiest Man of the Year awards? You know, he looks nasty and sexy in a completely different way than I've ever seen him before. I think that the movie is very bad, Uh, especially I don't like David Duchovny, but Brad Pitt is very, very good in it. He's not nearly as good as either of the two names I had before, but he he's definitely a deserving role. Best direction. Uh, giving the kid with a bike its uh, third win is the Darden brothers for best direction. Um, I really don't know what more I can say about this film until I get to the last category. So it's just it's just a good movie, guys. It's just a good movie. Best scene. This one was... There's so many good scenes. Uh, you know, the Lion ending, the night they raided Minsky's ending. Uh, you've got the Hudsucker proxy when uh, Hudsucker jumps out the window. There's... There are quite a few good scenes to pick from, but ultimately, the only scene that I could end up picking is the one that affected me the most when I saw it. And that is the opening, the first scene that Cecile de France has in *The Kid with a Bike*, where 
the young boy is trying to escape the uh, apartment um, landlord, and he runs into this room. He crashes into Cecile de France's character, and they both fall to the ground, and he just clings to her. And her response is so perfect, and it's what kind of made me fall in love with her from the beginning. And the, the first lines she has are, you can hold me, just not so tight. And the context of that is so fascinating because if you're sitting in a chair, minding your own business, anywhere, and some kid runs into you, knocks you over, you're probably a little hurt, a little banged up, and then the kid continues to hold you so tightly that it continues to hurt so many people would react violently or abrasively to that scenario. And she just kind of says, she is instantly able to recognize that there's something going on with this kid. He's in trouble. He needs help. He needs comfort, companionship, whatever it may be. And she handles that situation flawlessly. And I just think it's a beautiful scene. And I, I love Cecile de France's performance in it it feels so organic and so perfect i i adored it i absolutely adored it you can hold me just not so tight goes alongside the finale from bob and carol and ted and alice and the ninochka laugh scene from ninochka uh not sure where it slots in on those of those three films it might actually be at the bottom uh, still but either way that is four count them four wins for the kid with a bike uh, it's a pretty weak month so that kind of comes into play but it is definitely definitely a deserving film in my opinion for sure that is my January scavenger hunt review thank you all for listening Stay tuned. Hopefully tomorrow I will have the time to record the February preview episode. There will only be 28 films for February because it is a short month. Um, And February is going to be tough because I do have all those Oscar-nominated films I have to watch as well. So we'll, we'll see if that's doable. We'll see. Uh, Thank you for listening. You can find anything about me and the podcast at circleoffilm.com or email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, critiques, or thoughts. And as always, have a week. So long, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.